You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Katie Jenner, who was appointed Indiana's first Secretary of Education by former podcast guest, Governor Eric Holcomb. And it was effective just a few months ago, January 2021. We've been trying to have Secretary Jenner on the podcast for a while. She's incredibly busy, but she's been very kind to give us an hour of her time today. And we are joined by the illustrious and wondrous Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. It's always great to see you, Danielle. Dr. Jenner, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Robert, and uh, it's always great to see the wondrous Danielle Shockey. I can (laughs) echo that statement, but uh, great to be on with you today. I can't wait to spend an hour with you uh, having good conversation. Perfect. Well, thanks, Robert. Again, always, always my pleasure. I don't know about wondrous, and actually, I'm a little worried about our listeners. You know, Katie and I are both education geeks. And so uh, we're going to try to keep this fun and light and talk about priorities and vision and things that um, Dr. Jenner has for K-12 and maybe even pre-K career college um, vision for the state of Indiana. So excited to have this talk with you today. Yes, me as well. Thank you, Danielle. Yep. And I have to say, um, you know, our title of the show is Leaders and Legends, and you are in this really, really um, exciting space in that you are a first. So for our listeners, describe what that first is, because um, everybody may not understand being the secretary of education in Indiana is a first. And why is that? Well, thank you for that question. It is, um, I, I take it very, very seriously and love every day I have the opportunity to serve Indiana. Um, and most specifically, to do everything we can to positively impact the 1.1 million Hoosier students that we have in our classrooms. And you're right, I I am the first, Governor Holcomb. I think we've had uh, Democrats and Republican governors in the past who have worked for years and years to get to a place where the governor appoints 
um, his or her partner in education. And in this case, Governor Holcomb uh, had the first opportunity to do so. And he appointed me, gosh, it was a couple of weeks, Danielle, after he was elected governor for his second term in November, right before Thanksgiving last year. And then our team started on January 11th, 2021. And again, are just so thrilled to to be a a part of right now, despite how how interesting the times are, um, we are are thrilled to serve. Excellent. And and so you were no stranger to Governor Holcomb um, when he called you in November. I don't know how far away you might have been the next office or down in, in, at, at your home, but tell our listeners, wh- what role were you in um, also serving Indiana students just prior to the ask to be stepping into this first role of Secretary of Education? Sure. So directly prior to stepping into this role, I served as Governor Holcomb's senior education advisor. So, so you, so you had been, you'd, you'd been in the state house, you'd been, you know, working with the governor on, you know, education. So it was certainly a great fit and we're lucky to have you. Um, you. I think, again, interesting for our listeners to understand that prior to your appointment, this would have been, this was an elected role in Indiana, the state superintendent. And I don't know that maybe it's widely known that across the country, really the model of appointment, because as you described, the alignment between a governor and and their education chief is more often than not this model we now have in Indiana. So, um, and I don't know if you know the statistics around that, but maybe just for your own, you know, again, for our listeners, but for your own self, describe why you think that's a really good thing um, for the education system to have the appointment component. So, so Danielle, you're exactly right. And, and I don't think I had realized that the majority of states throughout our country, it is an appointed role uh, in some way. Uh, but it has been fantastic to have the opportunity to work hand in hand, in hand uh, with the governor on um, education, vision, and goals. The, the reality is while, while the Department of Education serves the K-12 space, or in some, some schools we have an early learning, so the early learning to grade 12 space, um, the real, real opportunity and momentum is around when you think about early learning grade 12, working with higher education, working with workforce, um, working with, um, of course, external partners, uh, legislators, et cetera. And working hand in hand with the governor has just totally opened the doors to uh, work across agencies, work across partners, and make sure that we are aligned as we move the work forward. Perfect. Yeah, I think the last statistic I knew was about 70-30, that about 70% of our states had the aligned appointed approach and 30% had an elected or a different model. So, so Indiana is certainly in the majority now um, with, with our new model of, of, of appointment. So again, congratulations on being the first, I think Thank you. as a fellow female and as a fellow educator, I'm super excited that you're sitting in this, in this chair. So again, for our listeners, and I want to get into your vision and, and kind of what's going on right now in K-12, but your background, um, 
is in education, obviously, but really um, career tech ed. So to describe, you know, kind of your early, your early classroom experience, your early uh, assistant superintendent experience, you worked a bit in um, you know, the Ivy Tech structure, which is something Indiana is so, so proud of. And Sue Elsperman has been a guest on the show here. So just described a little bit of some of those other, I guess, components that kind of make you who you are and your beliefs about what's important in education. Sure. Well, so for me, education was absolutely a calling. Um, I was actually a junior in college and was planning to go to law school and uh, was at a, at a liberal arts college and so required to take this education course my junior year. And when I, when I took the college course my junior year, I knew that education was the route that I needed to take. So I did like every parent's worst nightmare right before I'm supposed to graduate. I changed my, changed my mind on what I wanted to do. Uh, but I'm, I'm so thankful that I followed that calling and, and got into education. Um, so my undergraduate major was actually business. And it made a lot of sense that, that business is, is what I would teach. So yes, you're right. I was a career and technical education teacher, specifically teaching courses like entrepreneurship, business law, um, various marketing courses. My favorite out of all of them, I have to tell you, though, was entrepreneurship. And, and I think that's that's powerful even right now today because our students in our classrooms across the state to, to be able to grow the entrepreneurial spirit uh, is is a, a real opportunity. But after. After my teaching role um, or actually during my my teaching role, I uh, fell in love with and married a Hoosier which brought me north to Indiana um, over 14 years ago. And I, I'm so glad to, to be in Indiana. We live in Southern Indiana and in Madison, uh, which is where I, that's where I was a assistant principal at a middle school and then at a high school and then um, at the district level. And while at Madison, I was there for a little under 10 years um, serving um, the the community here. And while in Madison, we worked very, very hard on, on partnerships, again, with K-12 and higher ed. And in, in the case of, of our partnerships, it, Ivy Tech was our, our go-to partner in Madison. And then, um, and then business and industry. Uh, we had been a community where we had some silos and uh, uh, we had to break those down in order to really build the greatest opportunities for kids. So um, that would include, um, you know, allowing students to have uh, work-based learning opportunities or um, the opportunity to earn quality post-secondary credentials. So it's not just dual credit and AP, but it's really putting those all together for a post-secondary credential, which really mattered for our community because of our educational attainment rate. Um, the the edu education level in, in our community was such that uh, we needed to do everything possible in the 13 years we had children from K through 12 to just help them springboard their lifelong journey. And that led to um, the, the passion there. Uh, you're right. I, I was assistant superintendent when I left Madison and, and did go to 
serve at Ivy Tech with Dr. Sue Alsperman, who is a great mentor and, and support, but served there for um, actually about nine months and traveled across the state, met with a variety of, of community leaders to think about synergy that could be established there um, before coming and with uh, and joining Governor Holcomb's team. So that's a, a pretty quick path of my, my journey. So I was uh, on your last answer, you talked about how much you love entrepreneurship and the spirit of it. I have a daughter graduating college in less than nine months, and I'm scared to death. That is her major. I'm scared to death. Like, what is she going to do with that in real life? So I'm glad to hear you say it's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. And and I have obviously I feel like I want to switch the interview and, and talk to you about your daughter and what are her interests? What is her plan? Um, but, but we'll have to save that for, for a lunch or coffee someday, Danielle. I'll just have her come meet you and you can, you can just, you can just give her your best advice. Cause I keep telling her it's a fake major. Um, so I'm not the best role model here. Okay. Back to, back to, back to education. Um, so again, I have so many different things I, I, I want to talk about with you, but let's start with, you know, you, you entered into this new space. You obviously have ideas and visions and, you know, places you want to lead. So what do you see right now are your biggest, um, what are your biggest priorities? What, what, what are your visions for leading education, for leading the Indiana Department of Education, um, for education policy, for our students, for our teachers? Where are you headed? Great question. And one we could talk about for a while, I, I think to sum it up in, in a narrow, quick way, over the past seven months, we have spent a lot of time listening, right? Coming in, we, we had all the data on here's where we are. We had some data that we, of course, gained in the spring and here's where we are. But we also needed to look beyond the numbers and really listen to people and understand um, what opportunities we have as a state. Where is the momentum? Where, where can we go? Where should we go? So we have identified through, through all of the listening and the data, three pillars of focus. The first pillar is student learning and opportunity. So all about, of course, serving Indiana students in the best way possible. Um, that includes, and I'm glad to dig into any of this that would be helpful, but Danielle, that includes expanding and supporting quality, affordable, and accessible learning opportunities, including early learning in Indiana. There's there's certainly, I spoke with a superintendent this morning who um, is in one of Indiana's biggest counties, uh, most populated counties, and he was speaking on the opportunity in their county to, to really build out a quality early learning system. So, that when students enter kindergarten, they have the greatest opportunity for success. And, and you know, as, as an educator, that the window of opportunity for learning is it's so critical that we take advantage of that early learning and early elementary school time to make sure you know, students are equipped with the knowledge and skills. The second um, strategy within our student learning opportunity is, of course, our education educational fundamentals. Um, in order to, 
to rethink, rethink what's possible in high school and create these student pathways, we have to make sure um, in our elementary and middle grades that students are equipped and ready for you know, ex the expansive opportunities um, later on. And that includes literacy. And this is a big topic for you. I, I, we've talked about this. Making sure students are literate by third grade, there is so much research out there about why that is imperative. Um, also, STEM. You know, I had a, a, another principal I talked to um, actually today was someone who was interested in the elementary school principal interested in STEM certification. So really integrating STEM and project-based learning throughout their elementary um, curriculum. And, and also that includes uh, in bringing partners in at the elementary level. So exposing students to um, various careers even that, that could be possible that might not even be in their mind. Um, I've mentioned the, the pathways and, and blurring the lines again between K-12 higher ed, post higher ed and workforce. So, so the supporting the pathways and linkages. Also, um, you know, considering what types of, of learning focused, bold innovations uh, that, that we might consider. And, um, you know, I've heard, I really believe that, that as a state, you know, we have an opportunity to, to empower our, our local schools and communities to, to do something really special with the money that's flowing in from the state and federal. Um, we're gonna have to think differently. We're gonna, we're gonna have to try some things and, and we wanna do whatever we can to of course, remove the barriers. Um, the, the other one I'll mention within that student pillar is really re-envisioning how educational progress is measured and also, you know, strengthening our systems to provide improved information regarding our programs and results. We want to be radically transparent. You know, here's where we are with, uh, and, and here's what we're measuring. Pillar two, there are three pillars total. So first is student, second, pillar two, educator talent, quality, and value. It is essential that we have an excellent workforce. And um, quality teachers change lives. Our great teachers really impact um, kids forever. And, and that includes the knowledge and, and skills. And that also includes um, caring and believing in a child that might not have that at, at home. It really, really is important. Um, the, the other piece within that, of course, is, is elevating the value of our education profession. So we're looking around the state and Danielle, I think we've talked about this some at different times, but looking around the state to try to spotlight, where is the good happening? We, we wanna celebrate that and, and point to that and um, make sure other schools might be aware of what's possible. You know, the other the piece within the educator pillar is doing everything we can to recruit mm -hmm. talent. Um, and that includes racially and ethnically diverse teachers. That includes our high need areas, uh, but we, we really have an opportunity to improve there. 
and, and must lean in on that. The third pillar is uh, system alignment and capacity. I mentioned earlier help we want to support our schools in getting to yes. If it benefits kids and if it is within the law, let's help get to um, a yes. Uh, this also includes, um, you know, supporting some real-time solution finding, uh, such as, uh, and I, I've mentioned student pathways repeatedly and I'll keep doing it, but, um, you know, we have some schools and communi communities around our state that have that synergy established where they, they really have that local economic engine moving. And we have others who, like in a non-judgmental way, are raising their hand saying, I could just use some help. I'm all in. I want to figure this out. I want to do this. But how do you even start? And, and what, what does this look like? So, you know, really, we want our team to be ready to, to support schools and communities in leading that change uh, locally. So those, that's a really high level. Danielle, um, I, think, I think I started with this. That's the short version. Um, so just, again, a lot of passion and excitement around what's possible. And, and those pillars came directly from listening to Hoosiers and, uh, and looking at our data and where we are. I can, I, I can picture there's an infographic coming with those pillars, if not already in front of you. There is an infographic coming. All right, <laughs> yes. very good. So you, so you get an early preview, but okay. yes, yes. I love it. So, um, so Indiana's often, because you just described, I love your last one, systems alignment and so forth. But then you also described in my mind, kind of this alignment, even within state government, right? From you, you described early learning all the way to workforce attainment, right? And that looks different in every community. And every community is somewhere on that journey of providing all parts. So I have to wonder, is there in your vision or that, you know, I don't, I know you can't speak for the governor, but the governor's vision for um, either continued or greater, even agency alignment, meaning, you know, IDOE is K-12, pre-K-12, um, but then there is early learning and its own systems and its own agencies. And then there's the Commission for Higher Education. Um, and Teresa Lubbers has been a guest also an amazing woman. Um, is, there, is there additional ways that alignment has to happen in almost in a role model sense so our communities can see, you know, what it could be like? Um, or, or is it working just the way it is just fine right now? And, and just curious what your thoughts are. So we are, by the way, several of the names that you keep repeating are absolutely role models and mentors of mine. And it sounds like probably yours as well. Um, but we know that we're better when we work together. Absolutely. Uh, Commissioner Lovers, our commissioner for higher education, uh, we talk probably every other day uh, in all about system alignment and, you know, and how can we, we best blur the lines, but also to your point, to lead by example. Uh, to link arms together and lead by example at the state level. Um, when we also think about um, workforce, for example, Department of Workforce Development, and even our industry partners, um, we absolutely must lean in and work together. Uh, we, we are, we are, are um, certainly have the greatest opportunity to impact Hoosiers when we're 
aligned with a vision and a mission forward. And I think some of that alignment even comes with, um, you know, career relevance. We, we all across the board, you think about K-12, higher ed workforce, we, we all really um, are thinking about making sure our space is relevant to what the future of work is. Um, also, we, we've, met, we've talked about already, but educational attainment um, and the attainment of, a, of an individual. Of course, we at the high school level certainly want them to leave with a core 40 diploma or an academic honors, technical honors diploma. And we also are seeing some high schools across the state uh, help students earn a post-secondary credential, and which, which is powerful because even if life hits them after high school, no one can ever take that away, right? So the educational attainment and that connects to the, the higher ed. And then the third there is um, the economic mobility with, with educational attainment and with the skills and knowledge, economic mobility is then possible for an individual. And I think those three things extend across every single one of our areas. And um, those are probably, if you, if you want to look behind the curtain, those are probably the three topics, three themes that we discuss and, and work towards building out systematically to support um, Indiana citizens. You mentioned uh, teacher, uh, teacher recruitment, teacher retention. Um, I can't agree more. A great teacher makes a world of difference, even just one. Um, but we wish they had 12 years in a row of great teachers. What is your um, strategies, I guess, for, for, the for the pipeline? And for then once they're in, once they're in our classrooms for the retention of, of great educators? Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I think I think we have to start with the data. What what is what does it look like? And so earlier this year, we partnered with REL Midwest and published a study. So I'm just going to lay out some data really quick that that definitely draws a data story, draws a picture. Um, today, fewer than half of all of our Hoosier students who start a bachelor's degree in education are completing that program. Only about one in six of those students actually entered the teaching profession in an Indiana classroom. Um, and, and of course, again, this is more compounded when it comes to attracting uh, racially and ethnically diverse Hoosiers to the profession, as well as our high need areas, our STEM areas, our special education areas. Um, so, so our Indiana teacher pipeline um, is it is imperative that we have excellent teachers in the classroom. Danielle, you know the data. Um, it, it it really really matters, and the fact that our pipeline is leaking, we are not alone. Every almost every state in the country, if not every state, also has a, a leaky pipeline. But um, we we must focus on it, and we must continue to improve it. Uh, I shared with you earlier the importance of really elevating the mission and value of Indiana's K-12 educators. I think over the past decade at different times, we've we've taken it to the chin at, at different points. And uh, um, I just encourage um, any of the listeners to thank a teacher. Uh, you know, make sure you, you are expressing the appreciation. Uh, as educators, we get into it, and, and Daniel, you were a teacher too. We get into it for kids. 
That's, that is our why, doing everything possible to help our kids and our community. Um, the second is, again, I mentioned this earlier, recruiting more of Indiana's uh, best and brightest to, to join the profession. And I'll mention a partnership that um, Ivy Tech and Marion University recently announced um, you know, the, where, where students could, uh, where high school students can earn uh, their first year of college during their junior and senior year in that educator pathway. And then following high school graduation, they would leave with that one year. They could immediately transfer to Ivy Tech for the associate degree and then to Marion University, or they could graduate and go straight to Marion University, um, where I, I want to, um, I'm trying to remember the exact number, but for under $50,000 in four years, they could leave with a master's degree in education. And so again, but that's a, that's a major partnership, right? You have a public community college system, a private four-year university trying to work together to benefit Indiana's educator pipeline. And we, we want to see more of that and we will elevate and celebrate more of that. Um, thirdly, we want to make sure our educators have access to effective professional and leadership development. Um, this includes training in how to teach reading, for example, or how to expand STEM models um, in the schools, or how to even increase or better student pathway, develop student pathways. Um, and the, the last one that I'll mention is also our, our data systems. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, and we, we talk about this with other industry sectors. You know, what's the, what's the supply of students out of college? What's the demand for the business, for the industry? And is, is the student getting there? Those are a lot of questions that we cannot answer right now in education. And we really think that if we did have more of that information, we could, it could probably inform our decisions. So for example, of the colleges and universities um, in Indiana or teacher prep programs, how many are they producing? In what content areas? And then what schools have openings across the state? And then from what university do they actually match with the school? And then longitudinally, three years later, is the teacher, for example, still teaching science in that school? Or have they been recruited to an industry? What about five years later? So a lot of questions that I think with improvement of our information um, systems, uh, we also um, hope, to, hope to improve. Through, through either your own just anecdotal listening and or the REL Midwest um, study, what's your sense of when teachers say they don't stay? Um, I mean, I know pay is always easy to pick on, but I don't know that it's always that. What, what again, in any way, shape or form, do you have any feelings on what are those, what are the drivers for them leaving the profession when they do leave and, and what ideas might you have for how do we stop it? So I'm just thinking here, can we state that? Let's, can we state that like in the positive and sure. think about um, how can we get great teachers to stay mm -hmm. in our pipeline? And uh, Danielle, I think that's a, that's a question. I would, I would love to flip that back to you if we were yeah. having lunch, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a real discussion that I think we, 
we um, always need to be aware of. Of course, uh, teachers who are compensated with pay and benefits, um, that is one thing you mentioned. Our General Assembly just this last session invested a lot of dollars in um, to specifically and they came out publicly and said, this should go to teacher pay. This, we, we want this to go straight to teacher pay. Um, the other that's coming to mind, what, what makes teachers stay? It's kind of what makes everyone in a, a sector stay, which is being valued. Um, and so, so making sure our, our educators feel valued for the difference-making work they do day in and day out for kids. Um, thirdly, and again, this is just you and me talking, so I want you to add some as well. But the other is, um, you know, a lot of educators get into it because of the purpose. I mean, there's a fire inside of us because our purpose is to make a difference for kids and our purpose is to serve. And so we have to make sure we're doing everything possible to keep that fire burning inside the individual person, um, which, which could even be who, who you surround yourself within your school. Mm-hmm. And, and are you surrounded by people who lift you up and um, who are collaborative? That's really, really important in the, in the school environment. Um, I, I could go on and on. What, what do you think? What, what, did, what did I miss there? Well, no, I always... Um... Again, as a as a principal myself, um, and as as working at the Department of Ed, thinking, talking to aspiring educators, I always talked about as you go to interview, you need to find the match that fits you as well as you're interviewing that school district as much as they're interviewing you. And so, to yes. your point about that match, ask. You know, I, I think that's really important. Um, the climate and the culture that fits kind of your belief system. Yes. Um, but I also, I mean, I would be like, if this is truly a lunch conversation, I'll be really, really uh, transparent. I was in education for 20 years. I um, was at the Department of Ed for four. And before coming to Girl Scouts, I had about nine months where I, uh, I, I was not sure where I wanted to go with my life. And it was the first August where I wasn't going back to school, either as a student, as a teacher, or as an administrator in this one year's time. And I started to panic. And I had a friend who I did. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, what, what folders and crayons do I need to buy? But it really was, it was just like, oh, this is very strange. And I had a friend who was a principal who had a teacher who had set up her classroom and because of an illness, wasn't able to start. And so she called and said, hey, I know you're in the middle of a transition. Um, can you come help me open this classroom? She's like, I know nobody better. Um, and I'm like, I don't know about that. It's been a long time. And she wanted me to teach second grade. And so I went and taught second grade from the start of the school year to almost Thanksgiving. And wow. this was just three years ago. And I, again, and I, and Katie, this is just friend to friend. I called some of my teacher buddies who I had been their principal. And I said, oh my gosh, I had no idea what this felt like. Like the, the, the number of things we ask, we're asking of our yes. teachers was yes. very different now than when I started my career. And so I do think there's something there. Um, mm-hmm. How do we make sure they, they, you said about the fire staying lit, maintain mm-hmm. the joy, you know, in yeah. what they do. And there's, um, there's just a, there's a, a huge administrative, it, what feels to be administrative burden um, in schools, um, as well as just the accountability. I mean, again, from the time I started teaching to today, and believe me, 
I voted for some of that accountability. I think it's the right thing. Um, but again, how do we how do we how do we balance that? Right. How do we maintain what we need our teachers to be and do while helping them continue to be, find joy um, in this profession that they all walked into because they want to make a difference. It wasn't about the money, you know, and I think and, and so that just hit me. It was a very, it was a very uh, sobering moment. And I'm not kidding when I tell you, I called some of my teachers and I said, I am so sorry. I made you do all those literacy units after school, after doing six hours in a classroom with 27 second graders. Mm-hmm. I now know what you felt like. So, right. Right. And, and what I hear you say, which is echoed repeatedly, and I'm glad you brought that up, but let's, let's keep the focus on, on what really matters and then what can we, um, what other pieces can we set to the side and, and just really get to the heart of what matters for a child? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, Danielle, accountability. You know, for the past decade plus as a nation, um, we have had an accountability system that has been primarily assessment focused primarily, or in some cases, 100% assessment focus. I think now there's a great momentum and a real opportunity to rethink what what are the handful of characteristics that we want our children to have when they graduate high school. And some, some might, one would include academic mastery, certainly the knowledge side. But there are there are a lot of other characteristics that we need our Hoosier students to have. I mean, we need them to be hardworking and resilient. We need them to have the civics, digital, and financial literacy. Uh, we need them to, um, you know, to have these uh, collaboration skills, communication skills. So there are a number of other really important characteristics that we need our kids to have. And how do we think about where we want our students to be in Indiana, where we really want our kids to end up? You just had a recent graduate, right? And then and then, how do we backwards map that so that in elementary and middle school, yes, there's an academic mastery component. And there's also these other Sometimes they're called soft skills, right? But these other areas, these other employability areas that are so important to develop as a person for life, for success in life. Um, And I think now is a prom time. And that goes back even to uh, when we we talked about the strategy about really rethinking the, the measurement of how we're measuring student outcomes. I think that you you hit exactly on on what we need to kind of move towards, and we will. Yep, I think uh, you know accountability system that measures all the things you just described. I think I I personally believe it still needs to measure growth because you know we have those yes. students that come in yes. years behind, and if a teacher can move them up eighteen months and nine months in the classroom, there should be some you know there should be some credit, if you will, towards that. Um, yes. We could. Uh, so Robert's back and I know we need to like do our break and our sponsors and he's going to ask questions because, gosh, we could get an uncoupling of test scores from teacher salaries. And uh, I mean, Robert, this could go like for days. And I'm glad you're back so you can wake our listeners up <laughs> just in case they, they, they might have yeah snoozed off a bit. 
You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, where I had lunch earlier today, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest is the Indiana Secretary of Education, Dr. Katie Jenner. Dr. Jenner, is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire other than Danielle Shockey? <laughs> well, Danielle is certainly on the list. And and Danielle has, Danielle and you, Robert, have mm -hmm. rattled off several names of people who you've interviewed on this program. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned, um, Teresa lovers. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's pretty remarkable. She is remarkable and she has such wisdom and grace and poise. And, um, I, I think the world of her and absolutely admire her. Um, certainly, um, the governor has been someone who has come in even during COVID with such a level um, a, a level frame of mind. I've appreciated learning from him. Um, and then also you mentioned um, past governor, Mitch Daniels, who is president of Purdue. I, I don't know him personally, but I admire his work from afar. I think he's an innovator. Uh, and I, I, I always look forward to reading what they're doing uh, at Purdue and, and what they're thinking about. And I, I could name, honestly, we don't have enough time for me to name all the people, all the leaders that I watch and learn from. Uh, I, I think that is, it is important to have role models. And well, I have we, several. We mentioned Sue Elsperman, who's president of Ivy Tech. We mentioned uh, yes. Dan Elsner, who's the president of Marion. Yes. And, and Marion yes. really is, it's, it's BC. I don't know what that stands for, but Marion AD after Dan, obviously yes. is a completely different animal. Uh, yes. We mentioned Fred Klipsch, who we both think the world of. Yes, you're right, Robert. We talked about all three of those before we started recording. <laughs> no, uh, I know. So, so let's add those to the list, too. But I mean, real, we're really actually fortunate in Indiana to have so many thought leaders who uh, Dave Shane. I, I mean, we, we could we could go on and on about thought leaders in Indiana. Marianne Sullivan. There's just a tremendous number. That was actually, you anticipated my question as we were kind of going through names, right? And there are so many, uh, I mean, Baining, Bob Baining representative, he's been terrific on education issues for a long time, uh, but we are blessed. David Harris is another one. Bart Peterson, um, even Greg Ballard, my former boss, you know, who was fully in the charter school movement for sure. We are blessed. We are lucky to have folks who, take an expansive view of, of how parents choose their schools and how they get to choose their schools. I'm lucky. Uh, my kids went to Roncalli. They went to private school because I could afford it. But one of the things that Indiana has done so well is expand parental choice. How do you think that has made a difference in the education landscape? Well, let me start with just um, my my personal experience. I mean, you probably know the 
the biggest form of school choice in Indiana is actually a traditional public to traditional public. And I can remember very clearly when I was at Madison and, and that law passed. And initially it was like, oh my gosh, what, what, what is happening here? Um, but I tell you what, and I've shared this story with multiple people, it really caused us to look in the mirror and, and even raise the bar beyond what we thought we could do. Um, so th the other thing I think when you, you led with parents, right? Uh, the parents um, across our state have an opportunity to determine what's best for my child um, at what time. And uh, we see some uh, parents who send one of their children to one school type, a charter school, and one to um, a traditional public school um, um, or to a non-public school, right? So it's it's really thinking about being very student-centered and, and what's best for uh, the child. So when it's back to school night at the uh, Madison Consolidated School System and you come walking in, I mean, is it just like, are there like trumpets, you know, or some sort of no. red carpet? I mean, do, no. the, do, your, do your kids go, yeah, tell my mom I'm not doing a good job in school. I want to hear you tell my mom. What's it like <laughs> when you when you visit these schools or your kids, are, do they understand like what an important person and you are, what an influential and, and terrific advocate you are for all students? My kids, my own children are more concerned about me going into their school than the teachers, for sure. Because uh, my, my own kids know that as an educator, I, I support educators. And I, um, when 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 I'm told that that my kids did something wrong, I'm like, yes, they did, and I'm going to have a conversation with them later. Um, so so it it is very much a, a good relationship and. Uh, and again, I think my kids are more worried, certainly. I remember telling my kids the same thing when they both entered Ron Colley. It's like, if I get a call from a teacher that says you did something wrong, I just want you to know that I'm going to believe the teacher because you're a teenager and you're a screw up. So don't come to me and say, no, I didn't do it. Like, you're going to have to prove you didn't do it. And I'm just going to assume that the adult is, is right and is being fair. How do you think schools do in that particular juxtaposition where you where discipline's important but you can't just dismiss out of hand what a what a 18 year old senior who could be serving his country if he or she wanted to has to say about an issue that sort of adult teacher staff leader versus young adult student who has something to say so I'm going to have to have you at, can we pause there, Chris? This is the only time I'll have you like, I do. I wasn't following that. Robert, okay. can you, can Chris, you, you got this mark. Sure. More so than ever, students are informed about world events, about what's happening in their school district, about what's happening in their school. And they have opinions and they have different ways to express their opinions that comes into conflict sometimes with schools and school leaders. I mean, you read about it. I've read about it several times. What is that balance in your mind between giving these young men and women their voice, but also maintaining the fact that schools have to be run a certain way and there's a certain amount of respect that has to go both ways? 
And isn't that something I, I appreciate that question because I think especially um, especially right now, there's such an opportunity to listen to each other and, and to listen to to um, and, and try to seek to understand right before before responding. And and when in school, uh, a student should have the opportunity to to think out loud um, and to 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 think with their peers in, in a classroom setting. And, and by the way, grow from thinking out loud. Some sometimes uh, you, you you need a you need the pushback right from another student in to, to get to a point where you understand civil discussion and how that could work. I think about a, a strategy that we sometimes use in schools called the Socratic method, where um, where you really have to listen before responding. And, you know, it's, it's, it, the, the debate is, um, is such that it's civil, but it allows all voices to be heard. And I think that's a prime opportunity to certainly practice uh, while in the K-12 system. And Robert, I would be remiss if I didn't say something about and have them consider joining organizations like Girl Scouts. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great place to talk about issues and life. And well, I, I, I'm not going to say anything about about wonderful Danielle. I'll speak only for myself. But when I graduated, when I was in high school, which was from 1982 to 1986, social media uh, was notes passed along in the hallway or left under your desk for the person to get who's coming into your chair, you know, sit to your chair behind you. That's changed so much. Is social media something that is morally neutral and a, or a positive good? Or are there times where you where it can be, you know, somewhat debilitating? Gosh. I, I, I think social media has become tricky for all ages. I mean, there, there are adults that read social media and get wrapped in and, um, and, and, and hurt and right. But when we think about social media and, and the impacts in the K-12 space, that absolutely comes into our schools. And, and that's something that our, our school administrators and teachers uh, deal with every single day, even on a Monday morning, um, mm -hmm. social media, what happened on the weekend or, a, um, or, or what happened the, the night before. And it also, I, I think to some extent has taken away some of going back to the, 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 the civil debate that I think the civil conversation that we need to get back to when, when you don't agree with someone um, when you think about social media and being behind a screen, some people just send it without without even thinking or even owning it um, until they have to look at the student the next day in class. They're sitting beside them in second period and they're like, oh, yeah, I did. I did send that last night. Right. So um, I, I think social media absolutely has had an impact. Um, I, I don't know the answer. Right. I, uh, there, yeah, there is none. There is none. I don't know the answer, but but is it different than when I was in school and when you all were in school? Oh my gosh, absolutely with social media. My I have sixth grade, my girls, speaking of my girls are in sixth grade. And so we are at the point where they are 
begging, begging for a social media account. And um, I, I haven't I haven't gone there yet as a parent. And I know this isn't a parenting show. I'm always <laughs> parenting advice, but uh, it's it's tricky because once you open that can of worms with social media, um, it, it is it's tough. Last question for me before we'll make it quick one because it's and then we'll let Danielle do the five questions. My question, uh, Dr. Jenner, is very is snotty, so feel free to you know give a snotty reply. But you know, you feel smarter being in Indiana, you know, from as opposed to like where you were from and born originally and kind of got your education to start. I mean, does it, does Indiana feel like a little bit of an upgrade from you know? Transylvania University in Kentucky. Robert, I'll tell you what, that is so snotty. Oh my goodness. Now, I I absolutely love Indiana and love serving um, the Hoosier State. I, I love living here. We we are raising our, our family here. Um and and we will we we will be here. So it is a, a real I, I I'm so thankful that I fell in love with a Hoosier and he he brought me over the Ohio River. Yes. <laughs> well, we're, we're very thankful to Joe. Thank you very much for bringing you here. Uh, it's You've obviously made a difference already. And I'm going to turn it back over to Danielle for the five questions. And Katie, I was waiting for you to say, Robert, where's your PhD from? <laughs> <laughs> well, University of Kentucky, uh, you know, I'm all I can say is I have a lot of respect for Dr. Jenner. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> all right. So the last five questions are fun, rapid fire. We ask the all of our guests the same ones. What was your very first job, Dr. Jenner? My very first job, um, I taught swim lessons to uh, kids and was a lifeguard. Perfect. And then the second question is, what was your first concert? <laughs> maybe backstreet voice i was going to comment a little bit ago you made some comment about robert and i being old and so that that fits <laughs> i mean yeah that that probably that probably is it now my favorite concert is john prawn um he's passed away but john prawn he's more of a folky singer but yeah it was it's was probably backstreet voice all right they're still popular um so then third question what book um, have you loved or just book that you, what do you recommend? Oh my goodness. Okay. So there's a book called human work by Jamie Marisotis, who of course has oh, head of the Lumina. Yes. Talk about a legend. There's a, I mean, he, man. Um, so I follow his work, but he wrote a book called human work. And it really does capture some of what we talked about with the opportunities to build a educational workforce continuum and system. So I've really liked that recently. Um, yeah, I, I always on my bedside table keep a, a workbook, like a work for, for work professional, a fun book, like a beach read, and then a uh, a journal. I'm a big journaler. And then my Bible always on my bedside table. So, um, and then those just, you know, the, the fun book and the workbook just move in and out, but probably, probably lately on the work side would be human work by Jamie Marisotis. 
Very good. Danielle, may I note that uh, Jamie Marisotis was a guest on the Leaders and Legends podcast. There you are. All right. Mm -hmm. Very good. You're in great company, Katie. Um, The fourth of the five questions, if you could witness a moment in history, be there when it happened, what would you wish to have seen? I'm going to have to think about that one. Has anyone ever not answered a question because they needed to think about it or sleep on it? We like the we like to we like to hear the thinking process because the thinking process. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Abraham Lincoln is a leader that I um, like to read about, and so I I was trying to think of a a point in time that um, I would have liked to witness. But more than that, I would have tried to like nuzzle my way up in the crowd of people <laughs> to meet him and to have a conversation and and better understand how he navigated some of what he did. And so anyway, that 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 is that was my my thinking. But now I'm gonna leave here and be like, oh, and this and this. So, <laughs> but, but that's where I am right now. Well some people even go like the, the moment their parents met. Right. I mean, especially if they're parent, you know, so just it does, you can go super deep. You can go. But no, I loved your answer. It was perfect. Um, and then the last of the five questions, if you could have two hours off the record and have lunch with anybody living, who would it be? Oh, wow. Really, this is just a test to see who's ever listened to any of our other episodes before. Because you would have known. Well, I've failed it. <laughs> I clearly failed it, but I'm going to go back and listen now. Um, gosh, who, who <laughs> Barack Obama, George W. Bush. Those are two really popular ones. Mitch Daniels is popular. Michelle Obama, uh, Oprah, mm-hmm. Babe Ruth, no, he's Holly, not- Holly Lawson, no, baseball. <laughs> Robert's a good lunch date. I promise not to be a snot. Hey, yeah, Rob, Robert, you you would be you you would be good. Um, let's see. You know, I think I'm an Indiana Hoosier, and I've not met Mitch Daniels yet. So I think it would be an off the record two hour with Mitch Daniels. He's a very popular choice. That's for sure for the reasons that you've mentioned before just a few minutes ago on the podcast. And I would have a long list of tough questions. If he's listening, <laughs> I'm ready for you. He came on and uh, he came on twice and he got two different sets of five questions and okay. did a, Yeah. Did a terrific job. I'm, I'm sure he did. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been Dr. Katie Jenner, appointed Indiana's first secretary of education by Governor Holcomb. Our co-host has been Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. You were both amazing. Dr. Jenner, thank you for your time. I hope you had fun. I did have fun. Thank you so much, Robert. And 
Danielle. Great, great conversation and entertainment. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.